We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity will one day be restored. Then they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. What does it mean to be one in the Spirit? What does it mean to celebrate the Christian feast day of Pentecost as we do today? Why do we hear the story of those first disciples receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit and the ability to speak in other languages? And why do we sometimes call this the birthday of the church? The word Pentecost means 50th day. In most Christian traditions, Pentecost Sunday occurs 50 days following Easter. Christian Pentecost grew out of a long religious tradition spanning centuries. Originally, it was a pagan festival celebrating the first grain harvest of the Middle Eastern year and marked by a sacrifice to the gods from the first part of the first harvest. This tradition was then adopted by the Jews many years later as they created ways to be thankful to God, Yahweh, for their first harvest. To them, the 50-day period was the week's worth of weeks after Passover. Pentecost became the celebration of blessing the harvest and eventually expanded to include the celebration of the gift of the law to Moses at Mount Sinai as well. So it is within that rich religious tradition and context of the Jewish faith of Pentecost that we today read the story of Acts. The disciples had gathered together after Jesus had been carried away before their very eyes. They had gone back to the house in Jerusalem where they had gathered many times before and where they were told that soon they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit. They must have been grieving, talking, remembering, praying, wondering what to do next and where they should go. Then, on the morning of the Feast of Pentecost, they came out of the room in that house and started talking to the people about Jesus. And not only were they fired up by the power of receiving the Holy Spirit, but somehow, miraculously, they were able to speak in languages that could be understood by anyone from anywhere who had come to Jerusalem for the feast day. We hear in the story in Acts that the streets were full of an international crowd, a plethora of people representing many foreign lands. And yet, when each of them heard the disciples speak, they heard the testimonial in their own language. They heard and could understand for themselves the good news of Jesus and what it meant for all people. But what was shared must have been more than just words that were understood, don't you think? What was shared must have been, in fact, the Holy Spirit working through and among the disciples, igniting the hearts and minds and souls who were there to hear these stories. For what we don't hear this morning is how this story ends. Our hearing of the story this morning ends with just the beginning of Peter's sermon, 
But if we were to read on in the gospel, we would hear that after preaching to the people, Peter and the other disciples are asked, brothers, what shall we do? Peter extends the invitation of repentance and baptism along with the promise of receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the last line of the second chapter of Acts describes what every preacher from now into eternity can only dream about as a response to any homiletic effort. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Show-offs. And now, thousands of years later, we are hearing that amazing story again, celebrating what some call the birthday of the church. And today, we are preparing to welcome 20 adults and seven children as new members to this community of faith. This feels to me like a particularly important and holy moment for all of us, especially in the context of our lives today amidst this pandemic. At a time when people are often and understandably drawing inward and not only staying close to home, but perhaps protective of letting new people and new love in their lives, welcoming 27 new loves into our lives is simply outrageous and glorious and so life-giving. Each of you joining us today is a symbol and a witness of hope and promise and possibility. And as inspiring as this statement of love is through the expansion of our community today, I wonder if any of you join me in a certain posture of both celebration and a little trepidation as we recall the church's birth story, if you will. The celebration of today comes from a place of deep gratitude and awe to be both the bearers of a rich tradition gifted to us by a cloud of witnesses who, like us in their own context, pledge their hearts and souls to the work of sharing the good news. At the same time, though, my trepidation or hermeneutic of suspicion comes from what I have seen the church, capital C, the church's reluctance at times and even blatant denial to name and own the shortcomings of an institution having done untold damage to so many for so long. Looking at the church, capital C, as a whole on any given day, it is easy to make the case that we as an institution and members of that have not lived up to our baptismal promises that we have made individually or perhaps were made on our behalf as we were brought to the faith. We have fallen short time and time again in carrying out the vision proclaimed by those first disciples on that particular feast of Pentecost. We have missed the mark, neglecting or forgetting to be about radiating God's radically inclusive and unending source of love and forgiveness and healing and reconciliation. Over the centuries, the church has elevated arguing to an art form, has gotten caught up in debates over ultimate authority, has wrestled endlessly with orthopraxy, correct practice, and orthodoxy, correct belief or doctrine, 
and has divided more than one household on the right way to read and interpret and integrate our sacred texts into our lives. Yes, there is no doubt that we, the members of the church, have missed the mark time and time again. But that's not the whole story, is it? That's not the whole picture, is it? For every disappointment, there are as many stories, testimonials, lives that have been changed forever and for good in spite of the failings of this or any institution. And so as I grapple with both realities on this important feast day, I have wondered if there is a way to hold in helpful tension the two sides of what I see as the same coin, the failings and the promises made through a faith we dare to claim as our own. How often have you heard someone say to you, in an authentic effort to explain why church just isn't for them, something like, I'm spiritual, but not religious. I certainly have, and I have realized that phrase for me is predicated on a false assumption of dualistic thinking. Why does it have to be either or? It assumes that one cannot be both spiritual and religious. But rather than dismissing that response, I think we are called to bring it close into our very hearts and souls and wrestle with why that response has become so common. Could it be, at least in part, because we religious types have not become compelling storytellers? Could it be, at least in part, because we have too often forgotten to claim our spiritual narrative as foundational and energizing and compelling, giving us a why at almost every turn in our lives? And could it be, at least in part, that maybe, just maybe, if pressed, we just might be able to find a way to articulate that, in fact, it is not only possible, but absolutely magnificent to say I am spiritual and deeply religious. Spiritual in the sense that we embrace experiences of the numinous, basking in the unknowable, undefinable, and yet ever-present sense that we are a part of a great mystery that blows in and through us, moving us towards greater and grander ways than we could ever ask or imagine. And religious, in the sense that we engage in a deliberate practice of prayer and ritual and sacraments within a chosen community of faith. We do so in order to nurture our spiritual growth in the context that we can do more together than we could ever do on our own. So what if we dared to be both on this day, spiritual and religious? What if we dared to proudly proclaim and conf confess all that that includes, acknowledging the failings of some of our ancestors and contemporaries, perhaps ourselves even, in terms of perpetuating, th perpetuating things that in short would not make Jesus very happy? Acknowledging also that institutions cling to the status quo for dear life at every turn and the challenge of breathing new life 
into old wineskins is in fact nothing new. And amidst all of that, rejoicing in the gift of community and a rich tradition that pulls us out of our otherwise self-centered lives and myopic vision. Rejoicing that because of each other, none of us is called to believe everything on any given day and rather to build enough trust in our bonds of affection that we can lean into each other's arms, knowing that God will do the heavy lifting. So on this feast day, this day when we will hear and make promises to those who are ready to take up spiritual and religious residency among us, may this day be a day that we lean into the story of our birth of followers of the way, giving up the parts of ourselves that no longer feed us or the dream that God has for us still. May Holy Spirit stir such a passion in us that we will learn to speak in a language that all will understand. May Holy Spirit shower us with courage to proclaim the gospel in a language that will resonate deeply with others. And finally, may Holy Spirit be our guide, our strength, and our companion, speaking to us and nudging us beyond our comfort zones out into the world to live our one wild and precious life. May it be so.